Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 21st day of March 2014. And today we're reading from the big book. We're in the chapter more about alcoholism, and we are on page 37, and we are going to be reading, starting with whatever the precise definition Today's readers are 12 Steps, Anne-Marie, 12 Traditions, Liz S., and then Kim G., Sharon R. S., Lauren S., and Hoodie. And the share code for Thursday, yesterday, the 20th day of March, is 6069. 6069. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Anne-Marie to please read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, compulsive eater, overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives, powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take a personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I will now ask Liz S. to read the 12 Traditions. Hi, this is Liz S. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. 
a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Liz. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we're resuming our study in the big book. We're in the chapter, More About Alcoholism. We are on page 37, and we are on the first paragraph, whatever the precise definition. And I will ask Kim G. to begin reading, please. Thanks, Monica. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call it plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? You may think this is an extreme case. To us it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim upon the consequences, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallels with our sound reasoning there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking that first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check, and the insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. And good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. 
you know, this curious mental phenomenon that parallels with our sound reasoning that inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking that first drink. And, you know, I think of, I don't even remember the name of that Disney movie where there was that dog, and he would be talking, 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 and all of a sudden he goes, squirrel! And he would be off and running. Like, that's me. You know, I thought self-will and staying on guard was going to keep me sober. It was going to keep me abstinence, keep me on my diet. And then I would be sitting there, same, 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 squirrel, and I would be off again. So what was some of that, that insanely trivial excuse? You know, I remember thinking, well, you know, the Girl Scout cookies, how could I, how could I deny the Girl Scouts? I mean, it's, it's such a good organization. I have to help out the Girl Scouts. You know, trail mix. I mean, I'm just going to pick out the, you know, the, the protein and, and the, you know, the stuff, and I'm going to avoid those M&Ms. You know, I, well, I'm gonna, you know, it's, it's an organic, it's an organic version. I'm going to be okay. You know, I, I'm sitting at a family party, but, you know, I don't want to hurt my grandmom's feelings. I'm just going to have one. You know, oh, I, I, I just finished running nine miles, but it, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I don't want to look different. I'm at a business meeting. I don't want to insult the boss. So I can be sitting there. I'm on guard, on guard, self-will, self-will. And then suddenly, squirrel! And I'm off and running. And the next day I would ask myself, in all earnest and all sincerity, how it could have happened. And believe me, I wasn't lying. You could hook me up to a lie detector test. And I was absolutely sincere. And I was absolutely earnest. And people would look at me like I was insane, which I was, because I was face-forward, face-plant, right in the food. And what would happen is people would look at me and they'd say, look what the food is doing to you. Why? Why are you doing this? And I would look at them with all earnestness and all sincerity and say, I know what the food does for me. How are you not doing it? How are you not helping out the Girl Scouts? How are you not eating the trail mix? How are you not insulting your grandmother by not having that. So I had to recognize that I was trying to figure out insanity, that curious mental phenomenon that parallels with my sound reasoning. And I had to recognize I would inevitably pick up because of some insanely trivial excuse for taking that first bite. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And would anyone like to comment on this second paragraph? Well, this is Hi, Monica. Lori from Connecticut, compulsive Lori, go, go ahead, Lori. <laughs> what, what I heard, first of all, in the first paragraph, that insanity, plain insanity. Um, you know, the disease... Um, states clearly that we're insane you know and I never thought I was insane I just love to eat um always always from as far back as I can remember I mean my mom used to make farina and um you know with the raisins and the 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 butter and I oh god it was so good so I would want more always more you know um my mom was a very good cook you know my grandfather always made cakes and cookies you know always at the holidays and more, 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 never had enough, you know, um, being a compulsive overeater. And then the second paragraph is very interesting um, when it says, to us it is not far-fetched 
for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us, and that's the alcoholic thinking. Um, you know, uh, this kind of thinking, characteristic of everything, the alcoholic thinking, the way we think, um, the disease um, of compulsive overeating and alcoholism. And then that last, two, those last two sentences, or three sentences, but they're in the second paragraph, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. And that's the blank spot, you know, the obsession. And, you know, like I'm going to do it right this time, like Jim with the milk, um, same type of thing. And for me, um, Jim with the milk and the whiskey. And for me, it's always, okay, you know, let's see. Um, just this one time, I know I can buy the bag of chips and the dip. And I'll just have a couple, you know, or I'll have a few. I'll have a handful and a little bit of dip. And then I'll put the dip in the back of the refrigerator so I won't see it. And I'll put the chips in the pantry hidden. You know, uh-uh. I'm gonna. I know they're there, you know. It's like um, baking a cake and freezing it. I still know the cake's in the freezer, <laughs> you know, and I can unfreeze it. I can nuke it, um, you know. This kind of thing, keeping the food in the house. Um, I need to keep in my home only food that is allowed in my plan. Um, and when I leave my home, I need to pray. I need That's why it's so important that I meditate in the morning and I pray and I call my sponsor, call in my food, because when I leave my home, even if I've had lunch already, breakfast and lunch, who knows? I may get hungry around 3 o'clock. Oh, wow, look, there! i got to go shopping to, to um, let's say, go shopping to um, Dress Barn or something, Kohl's. Um, and then right near Coles is a diner. Well, maybe I'll just stop in and I'll just get a cup of coffee. Next thing you know, I'm getting a tuna melt or whatever. I'm getting something. You know, it's that, that obsession, the obsession of the mind. You know, our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea, insane idea won out. And it always does pass. I pass with that. Thank you, Laurie. Would anyone else like to comment on the second paragraph? This is Amy. Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from uh, Maryland. Boy, this is a perfect description of the mental obsession at work. People, newcomers ask me, what do you mean by mental obsession? What do you mean by mental obsession? It means that my mind, Regardless of the consequences, same with Jim, regardless of the consequences, my mind is going to rationalize that putting that bite of binge food into my mouth is the best idea that I had all day. This is the definition of insanity, that my mind is a hindrance. It is a liability when it comes to this disease. You know, it talks about in the big book about how when a certain type of thinking is established in the alcoholic or the compulsive overeater that we are doomed. 
because my mind, my sick mind can't heal my sick mind. And this is what happens with Jim. When we review his entire story of putting the whiskey in the milk, I mean, we can read it, and as not, if you're not an alcoholic, if you're not an alcoholic, you can read it and you could say, wow, that's pretty insane behavior. But isn't it the same when we review our compulsive eating behavior? That this is the greater aspect of the disease, the mental obsession and true powerlessness. Because I will still convince myself, left to my own devices, with this established thinking in my head as a true compulsive overeater, left to my own devices and my own will, I will find myself five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here? I, sometimes I fought it. Sometimes there was no thought whatsoever. It didn't matter. Eventually, I always wound up in the food. I could stop a thousand, a bazillion times, but I could never stay stopped. Why? Because, as it says in step one, we have warped our minds with such destructive eating and drinking habits that nothing but an act of providence will restore us. That's why step one says, have a higher power restore us to sanity. Came to believe that a higher power could restore us to sanity. I need, we need, as compulsive readers, to be restored to sanity in our thinking. And the only way to do that is for a personality change sufficient Working these steps, that's where the personality change comes. That's where the spiritual remedy takes place, through working the steps. Because my mind needs to change. My thinking needs to change. I not only not need to put the allergic substance into my body, I need to stop the insane thinking that says, it's okay, again, once again, to put that food in my mouth, even with all of the evidence of the contrary all of the destructive fallout, the four terrible horsemen that they talked about yesterday, fear, terror, bewilderment, despair, every time wondering how did this happen again? How did this happen again? My life was unmanageable, step one. I had to believe that in my mind and in my heart, in my soul, that against this disease, I stood powerless. And that without a higher power, I would not be restored to sanity. Jim would not be restored to sanity. Even with everything that he knew, all his knowledge, he still could not stop. And I was exactly the same. My mind was a liability. It was not a help. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. This is Katie. Janice and then Katie. Yes, thank you, Monica. I'll be brief. My name is Janice M, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, twice the book um, mentions sound reasoning. Um, (laughs) Sound reasoning. You know, my best reasoning, my best thinking got me to OA. Um, So I don't know how sound it was. But what's Jim's real problem here? Like I thought, oh, I'm going to get my knowledge. I'm going to know what food plan it is because this is the real problem, the allergy of the body, you know, always focusing on that. When the real problem was his mind, my mind, telling me that I could drink rather than the body telling me, you know, and ensuring me that I couldn't. This is what unsound reasoning is with me. I, I, I was talking to myself. I gave all kinds of reasons. That's disease. Reasons for. Reasons why. Because, you see, 
So the sound reasoning is really insanity. I didn't have any sound reasoning. Um, I talked to myself. Kim talked about the yuck or whatever. It was like, um, and Leah talks about the mind, the chatter, the chatter, the chatter, and I can say the parrot, screech, screech. And, you know, uh, my reasoning would be, yeah, I have to follow that thought. That's what I have to do because I reasoned it was a good, good reason for, not an excuse. Excuses, you, you know, talks, and when we're in recovery, we say excuses, but it's the reason, my mind telling me the reason. So Jim's real problem doesn't, it, it, his real problem centers in his mind. That's a form of insanity. You know, the mind tells me, I can eat, I can eat that, rather than the body, again, telling me, that gee, if I eat that, I'm going to start and I'm going to be, um, I'm going to binge. See that that's not sound reasoning for me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Katie, you're up. This is Katie F, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. This whole paragraph is, you know, basically the crux of my problem that I did not think it through. I did not think it through of what would happen if I took that first bite because I didn't believe that I was powerless over the next bite. I thought if I just tasted this one thing, that would, that would um, satisfy my craving. And, of course, that's the whole idea of an allergy. We have an abnormal reaction to certain foods, and that abnormal reaction is we want to eat it whether it's burnt, we don't like it, um, it's too rich, I'm full, I have a headache, I have a stomach ache, it doesn't matter. I will keep eating that food because I have uh, triggered that allergy and it's too much for me to combat it on my own. I can't combat this disease with my thinking. My thinking got me to suicidal um, thoughts, you know, approaching 200 pounds on a five foot three frame in my mid-20s and thinking that um, tomorrow would be better. Well, today my reaction to life is the opposite. You know, I may have an insane thought and I, and I tell that insane thought through God's help, you know, if I still want to binge, I'll do that tomorrow. Um, and you know, I don't have those thoughts today. I'm a free person. I can be around any food and I do not have, you know, I have control over my hand today because God has changed me from the inside out that I don't have to uh, be afraid um, of being around food. Now, how do I, I deal with that? I eat food. I eat um, my portions of food, and I am satisfied. I don't allow myself to get hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And Jim clearly was in that place. He was angry. And um, it sounds like he was sick and tired. You know, but working these steps and working the solution, always there's a way out. There's always a way out from my insane thinking. God has proven that to me innumerable, uh, you know, just thousands of times over the last 26 years that when I start to go down the wrong path, uh, I get catapulted back onto the right path. And it was the opposite in disease. I had 
the insane idea won out time and time again because I did not believe that I could recover and I didn't believe that it was that bad. And until those two things came together and I accepted that this is who and what I am and there is a better way to live and you will be actually happier and freer, I could not recover. I'm so grateful that uh, we have a solution today and we don't have to keep living in this uh, circle of trying to identify out. Instead, I identify in today with that I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Bella, go ahead. And Holly, thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. The insane idea won out. Yes, I was there. I know what it means, the insane idea. What is that insane idea? It's the selfishness. It's the self-center. It's the blaming and judging. I am the world and the world is me. And what do you mean, you know, I, I cannot lose weight? I cannot lose weight because of you, because of my boss, because of my mother, because of everybody. I am smart. I just cannot do it because of you. How come I am not happy in my job? Well, I am a happy person, but because of my my boss, how come today I came home angry and disappointed? Well, it's nothing to do with me because my neighbor just was there and he said something that that brought me to anger. Well, everything is me and around me. And this is the selfishness, the self-centered. And yes, this idea, this insane idea just drove me. And, well, I am eating now not because I want to eat, not because I'm hungry, because you brought me to this. You made me angry. You made me disappointed. You brought me <clears throat> to be uh, in, 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 in anger. It's not me. It's not my problem. This is the insane uh, uh, idea that, yes, that this idea drove me my life. Thank God, thank God, not anymore. And this is the basis of, of the program, and this is step one, to accept and admit that I am powerless. Well, it's very painful because what do you want? You want me to accept and admit that I am powerless? Where is my ego to, to, to say that I am powerless? What do you mean? I don't have the power, and it's very hard, and it's very painful to say, well, darling, you are human, and you have your limitations. Thank you, God, that now I am not in competition. Now my connection is to be with God. I don't have to prove anymore my, my power, my control, my, my perfect. Not anymore. Now my, my idea is not me and I. Now my idea is what can I do for, for God? What is my message to give over? Not my message, my, the God's mes- message for me 
to give it over. Now it's me, but not in a selfishness. What can I do for God? Because now it's not my message, my power, my, my idea that I want to spread out. Now I am here as a messenger only. And it's my choice one day at a time. How can I give it over the message, the message of God? Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Balin. This is Monica and I'm going to jump in here. It says, this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. And they're trying to explain here to us in this whole chapter about our insane thinking. And they're using the word insane because it's just crazy. It just doesn't make sense. They're not saying that I'm an insane person, but I do have this crazy, irrational, illogical thinking when it comes to food. And this is characteristic of every single one of us who are compulsive overeaters. And they're trying to get us to see this, that we have this abnormal thinking, this obsession of the mind when it comes to food. It says, you know, we may be, have sound reasoning in every other area of our life, but when it comes to food, we have this crazy thinking. And what is this crazy thinking? This is the other aspect, the stronger aspect of our disease that we are calling the obsession of the mind. It's an abnormal, unhealthy thinking that I have. And it will tell me a lie. And this thinking is so powerful. This thought that comes into my head is so powerful that it pushes out every other thought. So all my self-knowledge is right out the window. It also pushes out my willpower, my determination. Nothing works against this on my own. And... This obsession, this insane thought is always a lie. It is a lie, a delusion. It's not real. But I believe it because it's so powerful. It's the only thought in my head and I believe it. And it's so powerful that if I do get a vague sense that maybe I'm not being too smart, it will overpower it. And every single time, I'm going to believe this lie, and I'm going to get back into the food. This was my history for years and years and decades and decades. I believed a lie every single time. And then you get into the cycle. And then it's like the next day we asked ourselves, in all earnestness and sincerity, how could it happen again? I did that millions of times. How did this happen again? So they're trying to tell us that we have this, this thinking, you know, and this always will. It, it will always will. On my own, I am going to believe the lie. So what is the lie that your mind tells you? Mine said, it'll be okay this time, Monica. You'll be able to have just one and stop. Oh, it's okay. Just restart tomorrow. You can just restart tomorrow. That was a good one. All right. I'll just restart tomorrow. 
but today I'm going to have this. And I would forget. And that's the part of the obsession of the mind. We are great forgetters. I have no memory of the consequences of what I am going to feel like later because I believe this lie and picked up that first bite when I'm abstinent because I'm going to set off the allergy and I'm going to be off on the roller coaster and who knows when I'll get off again. But they're trying to tell us that this thinking, this abnormal thinking is what every single one of us has if we are real compulsive overeaters. And we're going to learn more that we're powerless over this. I am absolutely 100% powerless over this obscene thought when it comes into my head. And that's why I need a power that's greater than me that can overrule, override it. And that's called God. And we get that through working the steps. And I'll pass. And would anybody else like to share on this before we move on? Barry, on. I didn't hear your name. Holly. Howie? Holly, yeah. Holly, okay. Was it Holly in Vermont? No, Connecticut. Okay, and I heard somebody Vermont. Mary. Mary. Okay, Holly and then Mary. Go ahead, Holly. Thank you. I'm Holly, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Just signed in with a big book sponsor yesterday, and we'll be working on turning this all over to God because I definitely identify with with Jim, definitely. Um, We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences. I did reflect upon the consequences, but I still was into the mental phenomenon and still chose to eat whatever it was that I was justifying I could eat. This morning, for example, my plan says six-ounce baked potato. My scale measured out 5.5 ounce. <laughs> my mind said, oh, darn, you know, now I have to pick something else. And then my mind said, well, you know, just do it this time, and next time make sure you make enough of baked potatoes. I cut them up, put them in the pan. Sitting here in the meeting prior to it starting, I'm like, you know what, Holly? That's your will. Less is more for you. You take less baked potato this morning, you're going to think you can do more later on something else. And so I'm putting the potatoes in the fridge and I'm making the oatmeal, which will be one cup. I have to weigh and measure my food because my the mental phenomenon gets a hold of me and it is so strong. And I say, please, God, help me. Help me do your will with this. And it's been working lately. I'm not, the cravings have been lifted. And that they've been lifted because I haven't been eating the foods that my body in particular is allergic to. The other day, I discovered there's dextrose on French fries. I justified it. Just eat them and then you don't buy them anymore. I turned to God. I gave away the fries. (laughs) It's like I can't have just a little sugar. He couldn't have just 
you know, one drink of milk with a shot in it. As soon as he had that shot of alcohol, he ordered another one. And that's exactly what happens to me down the road. So for me, the first bite, I cannot take that first bite. So good to be here. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Holly. And Mary from Vermont. Go ahead. Hi, this is Mary T. in Vermont, recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I'm just looking at this and a note that I have written, that I've had written in here a long time, and it says um, at the end, and it always will on my own, and when I'm living my own will, um, I can change my mind at any time, and I, I do. I change my mind, and I'll believe the insane idea that um, for me it's often, well, I'm I'm going to deal with this and, and eat now and I can stop and when I want and I insane ideas that I can stop when I want and that it won't affect my spiritual growth or I have some sort of control over how much it's going to affect my spiritual growth and that is a very insane idea for me um, and I have an abnormal reaction to food and I have to know that but I forget that I have a, an abnormal reaction to life and that's why I really need these steps because um I'm very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable in certain aspects of my life if everything aren't going my way. So um, for me, this just kind of reminds me that uh, I need to have a relationship with God and really have worked that first step perfectly. And um, for me, I believe that uh, the steps are going to help me develop the relationship with God that's going to give me um, enough uh, sanity and enough power that I've never had before to um, stay stopped from eating. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Let's move on to the next paragraph, please. And Sharon R.S., would you read, please? Star one to unmute, Sharon, please. Good morning. This is Sharon R.S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And thank you, Monica, and thank you to all who are on the line. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in light of what always happened. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrible consequences might be. In some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk. That sounds remarkable. Bill is in in this paragraph and in, in uh, this part of the chapter, he's drilling down into the phenomenon of craving, that mental obsession. We are seeking to understand this disease. But let us be clear, understanding the disease is no cure. But it will what it will do is it will help us to get to the place that we can accept the solution without reservation. So it's important that we understand and be clear about what this disease is. Bill is pointing out here that even as we look at Jim 
who use self-deception to take that first drink. There are those of us who have made the decision with our eyes wide open to take the... There's someone in the background who's rattling. Yes, please, everyone, please make sure that you are muted. We're getting a lot of background noise. Thank you. Go ahead, Sharon. Yes, okay. I did... I didn't want it to be disrupted to those who might who want to hear but so so even though so Jim used self-deception but then there's some of us who with our eyes wide open go out and take that first bite or that first drink for me my best excuse my my most used excuse was a little bit won't hurt, a little bit. I I thought about it. It was premeditated. I thought about it and that just a little bit won't hurt. I would rationalize it. Or there were times when I would be nervous, anxious. It just felt like I was on edge, That that I couldn't imagine going forward. And I needed some help right then. I needed some help. And I knew that if I took, had a little food, it would just calm me down. That's what I felt. It would calm me down. It would help me. The food I felt would serve me. And I could use it to help me make my life better at that moment. And I, but at that moment, I would only think about what food could do for me. I didn't think about what it would do to me. I would forget. I would forget what was going to, what would ultimately and what inevitably and always happened. Food would always become my master. It would always take me places that I didn't want to go. At times, at a time when I didn't want to go there, it had, gave me no options. It would just take me, and I would be along for the ride, frightened and terrified and wanting to get off. And every single time I would take that first bite so it could help me, it would always, always put me back on that path of rapid destruction, not caring what pain I suffered what humiliation I I suffered every time. But in that moment, I could only think about about what it would do for me. And And now in my life, I recognize because I have come to this place of, of understanding that I am totally defenseless against that first bite without a power greater than myself helping me. It is something I like to keep close at in my mind, the pain of this disease. And I encourage my sponsees, do not get away from that, that recognition of who you are and what always happens, what has always happened and will all. It doesn't matter how long you have been out of the food, that first bite is all it takes, and it's over. 
and so we have to in my life and in with with my sponsors I always encourage we have to stay away from the edge stay clear of the edge stay in the middle of your program and close to the heart and always remember where you go when you take that first bite and with that I pass thank you Sharon and would anyone else like to share on this com- on this paragraph hello this is Rach from Jerusalem I heard Raquel. Who else? Sarah. Larry. Sarah. Larry. Larry. Okay. Raquel, Sarah, and Larry. Go ahead, Raquel. Hello. Hi, sweet Monica, and hello to everybody on the line. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful meeting. I I want to kind of continue the thought that, that Sharon shared about that one angle of that moment um, and at that moment of what it's going to do for me, there were times in my life that I felt that if I don't take that bite, I'm going to die. Just plain simply, so the lie was so, so strong in the head. And I want to share something that helps me very much. Maybe it'll help somebody else too. We've been helped here um, and in our community a lot by by NA and by AA. And somebody said in AA when someone raised their hand and said, "But but I feel I'm gonna I'm gonna die if I don't do it." And he said, "Honey, why don't you just call me and then sit and wait on the phone, and you and I are gonna see how soon you're gonna die for not going to the to the fridge." And really, you know, I I kind of elaborated on it a little more. If I sit on my hands, you know, just sit on my hands, what's gonna happen? Even if I could sit there for an hour, nothing happened. Usually I didn't die. But to have that experience that you can survive it, you know, a lot of people talk today uh, not that excited about the treatment centers, but for me the one thing that it did is that I saw that for 30 days I didn't die from climbing the walls and not picking up. And that was of great value of great value, not that I've been uh, ever since 89 abstinent, there were a lot of ups and downs, but now it helps me these these last few years to really realize that um, that I don't, that the feelings don't kill. And I just, that, that, that one aspect is, is very important to me, you know, that um, not just the insanity of, uh, um, that it's not going to do anything to me, but the insanity of what will happen to me if I don't eat, and and that that had a lot of weight for me. I thank you so very much for being there, and I hope maybe somebody will 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 get something out of this. You know, the the thought that you no, know, I didn't die because I didn't. You could survive the feelings. Thank you so much. Have a God blessed day, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Raquel. And Sarah, you're up. Thank you, Monica. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive of reader. Boy, I have been there so many times. And, you know, I love that they put down the the, the justification ideas that, that I had, you know, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, um, and, and that I deliberately, you know, deliberately because I wanted to take away those feelings of irritability and restlessness and discontent. You know, I just couldn't stand that. 
just couldn't stand it. I didn't know what to do with it. So overwhelmed with it. And I knew that when I would start to, to compulsively overeat, that what it would create is that is that sense of ease and comfort that I had. And that's what I was looking for because I couldn't stand feeling uncomfortable. I could not stand it. And, you know, the it was insane what happened because the remorse and, and the fact the most important thing was that I always cut myself off from, you know, my higher power and from everybody else. You know, I was isolated. I was alone. And I felt, you know, just like a nothing, like a nobody, like I was worthless. And um, I, I like when they talk about uh, when, I, when I drink or eat deliberately that there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. And that was the consequence. You know, when I compulsively overeat, I cut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit, from any higher power that I believe there is for me, and I'm totally isolated and alone. I, I create my own prison, and I'm all alone. It's like I'm in a deep, deep, dark dungeon, almost like being a prisoner of war, and I'm all alone, and there's nobody there for me. And I've created that because I have forgotten what the outcome will be when I do it. And I'm so grateful today that I am not there. And I do believe that all of us can become recovered if we have the willingness to do the action, which means working the steps. And so I invite you to, 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 to do that and to join me because as, as we know, we have a daily reprieve. And if I don't keep, you know, one of the reasons I just wanted to end with this, that I work with others is so that I can always remember you know, the longer I'm abstinent, the, the the further away it seems. But that's just a trick that my mind plays, because it's not so far away. You know, it's just it's just one compulsive bite or one compulsive thought away from going right head headstrong into the disease, back into that dark, dank dungeon, alone. So I'm grateful today for all of you and for what the program offers. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And then Larry and then Bob. Larry, you're up. Hi, uh, this is Larry, recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. Monica, thanks for your service. Um, yeah, there was no premeditation um, prior to taking the first bite, you know, um, thinking about the consequences. You know, and those consequences were great um, for me. I, I mean, after all, if, if you had my life, you'd eat like the way I did you know, as well, and, uh, you know, and that was always my thought, you know, the anxiety, what did I eat over, you know, this disease had me around the throat, you know, it was the anxiety, it was the, uh, anything that, that uh, any feeling of intensity, it could be joy, it could be boredom, it could, whatever it was, that was my justification, that I, and it came on like a freight train. When I was sitting in the parking lot of the fast food restaurant, there was no, you know, I was already in program. I, I had all the rational, all the, all the rational uh, understanding as to why I shouldn't be there. It didn't matter. See, I wasn't recovered. 
I had not found, I had not had a vital spiritual experience yet. And I wasn't ready uh, to take those, those action steps yet. I had, all, I had all the justification not to. You know, and so I, I continued to pull. I mean, I, I, was, I would tell people I'm, I'm mostly abstinent. How are you doing today, Larry? I'm mostly abstinent, boy. I'm mostly a lot of things. You know, but I'll tell you what I wasn't. I wasn't mostly recovered. Today, my life is so much different. I didn't believe. I thought it was a fiction. I thought this was fiction. This, this, vital, this vital spiritual experience? Really? As I'm sitting in the parking lot, you know, of a Walgreens or a CVS ready to go in and do my, do my deal, do my damage, day after day after day, hating myself that I was there. Yes, this, this disease, um, and you couldn't persuade me. The book couldn't persuade me. Nobody could persuade me. The disease persuaded me. Thank goodness for the disease. Some people never, you know, will spend a lifetime with this information, and they'll sit on it, and they'll do half measures, and half measures I thought would get me a little bit. It got me a big zero and nothing. And then when the disease finally, finally had me, had me cornered, like a rat corner. That's what I felt like. I finally had nowhere else to go. And I took these steps. And God took a step towards me. And I had a vital spiritual experience. And today, amazingly, amazingly, what God has done for me, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't pull into those parking lots and I don't want to anymore. And I don't fight it and I don't struggle anymore. I took the steps. God, God did this for me. I had a vital spiritual experience. And today, all I have to do is remain in fit spiritual condition. That's why I'm here, and I have a playbook for that. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. And Bob, you're next. Also about reading, Peter. Um, I'm grateful for everyone who's been on the program today on the phones. Um, my disease is a disease of lies. And uh, I liked what somebody told me in the rooms when I, I could not stop those voices and that disease of telling me the lies, but what I can do is I can say thanks for sharing and let it go. For me, this program is a program of six A's. Um, first of all, for 53 years, I didn't have an awareness that I had a disease. So the first A for me is awareness. And the second is acceptance. And it was a bitter pill to swallow to accept the fact that I had this disease. The third A, and I think it's the most important, is, and that is the word ask. I have to ask my higher power for help with my disease. I am powerless over it by myself. But when I remember to ask, and that ask needs to be taken for me, before I take action, because if I forget to ask for guidance from my higher power, I'm going to take Bob's action and not my higher power's action and do Bob's will and not God's will. And the fourth uh, A uh, is action, but the fifth A is amnesia. Uh, I forget when I walk out of a meeting that I have a disease, and that's why I have to keep coming back. And the sixth day 
is abstinence. When I have abstinence, I have a relationship with my higher power, and I have my higher power's help in everything that I do. And I, without that uh, help, I am powerless. But I can't have that connection with my higher power unless I'm abstinent, because I don't see the gifts that he has given me. Uh, I don't see the miracles that are created in my life when I'm into the food, because it puts a block between me and my higher power. And I'm grateful that I have that awareness today. And another thing I heard was uh, that this disease, uh, that in terms of what, what I need to do, is I need to do the possible and let God do the impossible. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Bob. And with that, we've come to the end of our time this morning so quickly. And I'd like to say thank you to everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Lauren, can you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive. Surely. Hi, Lauren S., recovered compulsive reader from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Submit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Lauren.